Hello, everyone. This is Shannon Morgan, and you are listening to episode 16 of Sound Mind, a place to openly discuss the struggles in our minds, including mental health, trauma, addiction, and more. I'm not a counselor, and this podcast is not meant to replace professional therapy, more like somewhere you can go to find connection and learn how other people's experiences can aid in your own journey. Speaking of which, I work in the field of behavioral health as a peer and youth support specialist. Working with both adults and children, I shared my lived experience with mental illness, trauma, and addiction in order to connect with clients and help them see that they are not alone, helping them to share their own story, set goals, build hope, and live more self-directed, purpose-filled lives. And that is the spirit I'm bringing to this podcast. The website for Sound Mind is soundmindpodcast.com. There you will find social networks and learn more about guests where you can leave a comment or send me an email. And I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to be a guest on the show or just have a reaction to an episode. Now, on to today's guest. Mike Ross is a 41-year-old veteran of the United States Marine Corps. After serving five years in the Marines, he was honorably discharged and is now a college graduate. However, holding down employment or even relationships has been a struggle. Mike's first mental health diagnosis came while serving in the Marine Corps. He has since been through a gauntlet of medicines and providers through the VA, but has struggled in his post-military life, culminating in a suicide attempt in January of 2020 that ended with him being arrested and being put in an involuntary hold, which led to him receiving iatrogenic harm. However, rather than dwell on what he endured, Mike channeled that energy into advocating for change for those who live with mental illness and also to raise awareness about a local nonprofit that he credits with saving his life. Life. And with that, let's meet Mike. Hello, can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. How about me? Yeah, you are fine, ma'am. Awesome. It's lovely to meet you virtually. You too, Shannon. You too. How was the coast? Did it treat you well? Oh, it was amazing. I really needed to stay another three or four days, but I guess vacation <laughs> always feels like that. The locals weren't vicious to you? No, the locals were great. Everyone was happy to happy to see us. I guess they were hurting for business too. Wow, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I was worried about that though. I told my sisters, I'm like, we gotta watch out because apparently there's vicious yeah. locals that are out roaming. Yeah, the, the news made it sound like they did not want any out of town visitors coming because of the virus, and people were being shamed and treated poorly. So I didn't know how severe, how true that is, and in the news, you know. Yeah, maybe it was just that one guy. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could be. So should we get started? Yeah, yeah. Let's All right, Mike. This. Let's dive right in. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, I am 41 years old. I'm on my second marriage. I have two dogs. I live off my veteran benefits. I've tried the working thing and it does not turn out too well for me. So the VA compensates mm -hmm. me enough to stay at home. I work out when I can. I have um, mental illnesses, physical illnesses. I have several different mental diagnoses and uh, rheumatoid arthritis to top it all off with. Mm. I buried two of my kids before I was 30. I'm a middle child, um, college graduate, own a home. I don't know what all else to say. <laughs> yeah. No, that was good. Can you tell me about when you first started um, noticing that you might have a mental illness? Um. In the Marine Corps, I started acting really aggressive one day, and they sent me down to a, 
I mean, it could be on, I was telling supervisors and you know, officers to go do things to themselves that wasn't appropriate. And mm -hmm. rather than punish me, they had me go see the doctor and the doctor sent me a psychiatrist. And uh, at first we thought it was um, the, the uh, multivitamins and stuff I took, all my supplements I took, because some of them can cause extreme aggression. But then we got off those and the symptoms were still there and they, uh, they ended up diagnosing me in the Marine Corps and then let me finish my career, which or my time, my contract, which was really odd. Usually you need a diagnosis, they uh, send you out, but that was not my case. Hmm. That was in 2000. I think my first diagnosis came in 2000. And since you've been home, you've been through the VA, and I take it from your survey that that's been kind of a roller coaster in, in terms of getting help with your mental health. Yes, the VA is a absolute nightmare, I think. Um, there's people at the top of the level that want to do good and people at the bottom, but the middle stuff is kind of just, you know, people that don't care. And the system is kind of, is very flawed. Rather than provide care, it's more like a carousel of get you in and out as fast as they can. So in the VA healthcare system, I've been in it for 15 years. 10 of those years have been at the Boise VA. At the Boise VA, I've had eight different primary care providers and four different psychiatrists within ten, uh, the 10 year period. So the approaches, the attitudes, uh, building rapport and establishing a relationship and the side effects to the medications and approaches all change just as often as they do. So it's never a structured, consistent thing. Whereas my wife has had the same psychiatrist for 25 years. Mm-hmm. So it's just been a, uh, it's aggravating. And then when you go in there and you have people that don't really care and they treat you that way, it's very aggravating when all you want to do is just get treated. Um, my counselor has been wonderful. She's a rock star, but it just, I kind of outgrew the VA. I think it wasn't really working for me. I, I've been on different medications at different doctors, like I said. Um, and my psychiatrist finally told me to start trying something alternative out and that's proven, you know, like he suggested ECT therapy, electroconvulsive therapy. Mm -hmm. And I was not about to do that to myself. So I went looking for something else and I ended up finding it. But he even acknowledged like it's been 15 years of medications and, and the same thing and you're not getting any better. Let's find something that works for you. So I went and found something. Oh, that's great. What was the something yeah. you found? Um, that's okay. So what I found the, the name, oh, it's kind of complicated. So follow me with this on. Okay. Um, the gentleman's name is Johnny Yurtatia. He is a uh, bass cowboy. He grew up here in Gooding, Idaho, um, lives out in Nampa now. And he was a veteran. He used to open up for Alan Jackson and Garth Brooks in the eighties. You know, I mean, he toured with them. He has a math degree. He's in the Idaho hall of fame for rodeo. But he said what he wants to be known for is this program he's built called Intensive Healing Therapy. And it is um, a nonprofit and a for-profit side. It was a meeting of some of the best doctors in the world where they started to bring all these different modalities of, of treatment together under one program. And that is actually called USA Reboot Resort, and it's based in Louisiana. And if you're a veteran or first responder, you can go down there at no cost and get some really amazing treatment. Well, I happen to know a police officer in Meridian who, when I was over, him and I exchange, we're not like friends or anything, but we're acquaintances enough where we you know, have text conversations now and then. Mm -hmm. he, knew, he knew my frustrations with the VA. And um, 
he finally told me he had a friend that started a horse thing for me. And I eventually reached out to him and said, hey, I want to try the horse guy. So the program itself is um, the Idaho part of it is called intensive healing therapy, and it encompasses a lot of different um, treatments into, into one program to include the very first thing, because I was in a mental health crisis when I met Johnny, um, taught me the Wim Hof method of breathing and meditation to help me control my fight or flight symptoms um, and panics. And also releases dopamine to the brain on demand. That was the first step. And then he put me through 10 hours of intensive EMDR therapy, mm -hmm. a week of brainwave therapy. So you can kind of identify your trauma and everything. And they followed up with equine therapy where you put these new coping skills you've learned into equine therapy in order to work with the horses. You have to be able to stay calm and put out good vibes or the horses won't have anything to do with you. So you bring up the trauma while you're in, while you're working with the horses and you have to regulate your body so you're not freaking out and panicking and the horses will work with you. It's quite amazing, actually. So the first part of this program was done in a different state and it's just the equine therapy that was no. done here? Okay, so there, there's where we get, uh, there's two different programs, but it's the same guy who runs them both. Oh, okay. So USA Reboot Resort, if you're a first responder or law enforcement, you go to Louisiana, they have the, everything there. Well, Johnny lives here in Nampa and wanted to do it here. So he's brought together therapists from around the valley to provide the exact same stuff here. Oh, that's he got, great. Yeah. And he got incorporated at the Walker house out in Gooding. So he has one established, he was working in star until uh, COVID hit and that facility had to close. The family wanted some privacy and space from COVID. So he uh, is, is ended up out of the, the Walker house so you can do anywhere now from uh, seven days of inpatient all the way to 28 days of inpatient treatment, and it will cost $16,000. But if you're a veteran like me, he does it at no, he does as much as he can at no cost. So for me, it wow. costs $3,000 for all this. Wow, that's awesome. You would hope that VA would kind of take notice that there's a program out there working and try to do something similar. It's funny you say that. Um, he works closely with Senator Crapo, Senator Rich's office. Mm -hmm. and we got an email maybe two, three weeks ago saying that the House and the Senate are actually able to pass something together. And it is mental health legislation for the VA. They're going to create a pilot program for veterans mental health that will cover agrotherapy, sports therapy, art therapy, and animal therapy approaches, not just the here's a pill and a couch. It's going to be a yeah. lot. So that was kind of cool. That, that, that's actually coming down. They, it just got passed a while ago. If you want, I can send you the link to the letter. Yeah, please do. That would be awesome. It's very, very, uh, very neat. And we're actually going to try and uh, bring this attention to our legislatures and governor to see if they don't want to maybe champion something right here in their backyard that is very awesome and it's already established they have proven results um there needs to be more 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 people using this program versus here's a pill here's a doctor and you get the same exact um results all the time yeah anything you can do to expand on uh, modalities to be more inclusive of other perspectives is better yeah i just sent it to you in the text okay great in the chat yeah you're on top it's, of it. It's a really great program. Um, and for me, because he was kind of was all over the places, he opened up his home. So part of his home is a, a therapy center out in Nampa, where if, you ha if I'm having a bad day, I can go out to his house in Nampa. And there's a bed there for anyone who goes to the program where you can just get space, 
Um, they cook for you. They give you a nutritionist if you need it. Make sure you're eating healthy, you're exercising, doing the meditation, all these different things to help really bring a peace of mind. I've met several other veterans through this. I've met a Meridian PD police officer who uh, was in a dark spot at one time too, and it, it has proven results. That's awesome. I should try to get them on the show. Yeah, I can do that for you if you if you want. I would, yeah. would love to. I'll, I'll reach out to him. I have a therapy session tomorrow. Actually, I'll talk to him about it. Okay, great. Yeah, the more um, information I can give out, the better. Yeah, it would help his program too. We did the. Uh, have you heard of dysfunctional veterans? No. It's a Facebook social media group. They have a nonprofit. And they do a radio show once a week, and we actually did that radio show in August. Shared my story and his program together. Oh, awesome! That's great. So the more, the better, because it's something here in Idaho, and, and rather than being medicated or injected with something or held in a facility, wouldn't it be awesome to go somewhere where they're actually going to treat the cause, not the symptoms, and you're going to be, you know, working with horses and doing something really natural. Granted, some people need to be medicated and need to be in a facility, but some people, I think, this program is working wonderful for me, and I've been off my medications now since January. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So how has your recovery impacted your relationships with other people in your life? Um, well, I would, you mean like recovery in the recent years or recovery over my entire life? Oh, over your entire life. Like how has it been, how has it evolved? It's been hectic, I think. And it's cost me some relationships. It's cost me uh, family. It's It's been very um, stressful, I think. My first wife, mm -hmm. She went into work to, in, to get two master's degrees in social work and art therapy. And I don't think she was able to handle my symptoms. And at the time, I was not aware of how bad I was. Mm -hmm. As I've gotten older and gotten more education and more insight, I can identify like I was really messed up then. Um, so I've gotten divorced. My parents and I don't have the best relationship all the time because it's kind of hard for they're older and they don't really understand mental illnesses. They mm -hmm. don't, don't get it, you know. Um, in the recent years, I've seen things at their house, like what to do in a mental health crisis, like books like that, um, mental health, 911, mental health for dummies, things like that. And that's oh, like, so they're really, trying. They're trying. Yeah. But it's been very hard in a sense of uh, keeping them. I and mean, when I have symptoms and I'm not in a good spot, people don't want to be around me. My brother doesn't really talk to me anymore. Um, my sister and I are getting a better relationship. I've been hard for me to hold down jobs. And when I have a symptoms and having a bad day at places, you know, people don't want to be around you. And it really, it sucks. It just sucks. Um, and I've tried things over the years. I don't try to be mean. I'm actually a really nice guy. I buy groceries for people. If I see your cards declined, I offer to do nice things to random people. But when you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day. And those are usually more than my good days. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, Lately, now that I've gotten some better treatment and I'm not having side effects, all the medications, um, the, my wife now, she's absolutely amazing and tolerating my tolerating me. I, I'm very lucky and blessed in that sense. And our, my stepson, he's very uh, compassionate about myself and other people with mental illnesses. So mm -hmm. it's been, um, re recovery itself, it's, it's just been kind of hard to say like, is having a relationship of any sort, whether it's a friendship, intimacy, business, or whatever, that's been a hard thing for me to do over the years. But it's been getting, you find people in there that don't care or can accept you or, you know, they are compassionate to people with mental illnesses. It's a lot easier, but 
the most part has kind of been hard for me to do. So my trust for people has been very, in my mind, eroded with people just because I don't want to go and get hurt again or cause someone else grief. So I've kind of put sure. walls up and. I know what that feels like. Yeah, it's not yeah. fun. No, it sure is. It, it, it sucks to know that there's a person in you that you want to be the you all the time, but you just can't manage to put them out there as much as you'd like. Exactly, exactly. Um, even my, my, I have a 24-year-old son from, I was a teenage dad, and him and I are finally now starting to have a relationship, and he's getting older enough to kind of understand I haven't been, um, I try, but my mental illnesses affect our relationship, and he gets mm -hmm. that now, so it's kind of cool that he's growing up and accepting that, but still, I mean, I missed out on a lot of part of his life, and yeah. What are your, uh, what were you diagnosed with? That has changed over the years. I'll give you the rundown of it. Um, the first one, he came in the Marine Corps that said it was borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. I should have been discharged then, but they let me stay in. So uh, when I got out and I applied for VA benefits, they told me I had major depression disorder. And it's gone from major depression to anxiety back to major depression. One doctor thought I had bipolar. Um, and this is kind of the problem when you go to the VA and you have different doctors over the years. Yeah. So the bipolar has now been dropped and went back to depression and now we're sitting at borderline personality. Okay. Is that a diagnosis that makes sense to you the more you've learned about it? It does. It's kind of hard to accept because some of that stuff, like I don't think is me, but when I can actually look through the lens of this, like, let's see what's true here and look at the symptoms and events in my life. I can say, yeah, I acted that way. I definitely fits me. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of a hard pill to swallow that one. I'll, I'll be honest about it. Yeah. When I got diagnosed bipolar one, it was really hard for me to accept it. I just didn't want to have, well, I didn't want to have a serious mental illness. <laughs> it was Exactly. Like I'll accept depression. Like say I'm depressed. Okay. I'll live with depression. I've gone through a lot of trauma in my life but these throw in like something like, like just the borderline personality thing makes me feel like it's the worst of the worst yeah it's hard it's hard to accept it it's hard to um well I guess it's not hard to learn about it but I found that the more I threw myself in understanding what bipolar was then the better I was able to predict when my high my highs would come and my lows would come and and manage those swings more so it's definitely helped me to learn more about it but I still it's really stigmatizing very and that's that's the hard thing and and the people that know me know I'm a good guy know if I'm having a bad day it's nothing personal mm -hmm. and they they don't look at me it, it if you're a stranger and you find out someone has a diagnosis, they look at the label, but if you get to know somebody, and I'm sure you're aware of this, you get to know mm -hmm. them, they're not just the label. And that's like the hard thing is for people to understand, like, this doesn't define me. This isn't me every single day. It's just me sometimes. And yeah. I'm not bipolar. I live with bipolar, but it's exactly. not who I am. And I, I do my best to hide that in public all the time, mm -hmm. like you know, fake smiles and, you know, put on the mask to go out in public, but like the actual, you know, proverbial mask yeah yeah <laughs> yeah d double mask in it exactly yeah um have you ever experienced emotional or physical trauma yes um bearing two children over the years i i've mm -hmm. i was his teenage dad i buried one kid at 16 i didn't really address any of that um 
kind of wanted to be stoic when I was 16, make it through high school, like this doesn't bother me, you know? Um, yeah. When I got older and I lost my second child, I was very, uh, it kind of all came out at once, like both of them. Um, it's not easy, you know, you, when you you lose children, you wonder why, you wonder why, and then going through mm -hmm. a divorce a couple of years after we lose my daughter, um, again, a lot of more emotional trauma my parents never abused me or yelled at me screamed or anything they were wonderful but as you get older and you have like life experiences it just takes a toll and you don't know how to process it properly too it's very, yeah uh, very hard physical trauma not really um nothing's really been bad to me physically you know the worst thing that's ever happened to me is rheumatoid arthritis and it's just been hard to get my head around that mm -hmm. getting older and dealing with that um when i was in Part of my, my suicide attempt, actually, I was placed on an involuntary hold by the Boise PD, and I experienced what um, medical experts say is iotrogenic harm, is when you experience trauma in custody. Now, we don't know, I, it's partly physical, but it's mostly mental and emotional. The um, I, It's documented in my medical records from the two different hospitals I was in that mm -hmm. I won an attorney at least nine times and they refused to give me an attorney nine times. Um, one of the hospitals decided to use 10 people to hold me down and inject me against my consent. Oh, wow. And, right? So that right there, the fear, I've always known what we do to the mentally ill in this country is hard, but when you're experiencing it, like, so that the medication they gave me caused severe side effects. I now have um, tardive dyskinesia because of it. So I don't want to say that's trauma, but more just the fear of being held down, being injected against your will, mm -hmm. becoming a vegetable for a few days for him. And then I was thrown in Ada County Jail because I fought that injection. Um, and there also denied an attorney multiple times. Wow. Um, and rather, and keep in mind, I'm supposed to be on involuntary holds. So they put me in a jail cell, stripped me totally naked because I refused to identify myself and I wanted an attorney. Um, I don't know how people feel about that, but there's been court cases here in Idaho where it's happened in other jurisdictions where the jails are in the wrong. You want an attorney at booking, they're supposed to provide you an attorney. Yeah. Long story short. So anyways, I'm in the, uh, in the jail cell and I'm supposed to be on an involuntary hold. They think I'm drunk. So within a 48 hour period, it goes from Mike being attempting suicide to this guy's just drunk in a jail cell. And they're letting me run my head, run, I'm 6'2", 270 pounds, and I'm running full speed into um, brick walls and banging my head on them with, with my head first, just like trying to like, I'm hurting yeah. myself, I'm hurting myself. And that, it gets me worked up, it gets me fired up, and that's traumatic, um, both physically and emotionally. Yeah. More so, I think the emotional connection to it, because all I wanted was help. I just wanted one person to help me and tell me what what's to do and... Oh, I'm sorry. It gets me fired up a little bit. I got to take a, a breather. <laughs> no, you please do. That sounds like a traumatic experience. Not you fun. So they, they said what I experienced was uh, I gave this speech to the Behavioral Health Council of Idaho, their executive board, and they told me I experienced what is called iotrogenic harm or iotrogenic, however you pronounce it. But it's uh, it happens to a lot of people. That's mm -hmm. the sad thing. It happens to a lot of people in Idaho. That's what kind of got me going into the advocacy world is these things need to stop. Our police officers can't treat people with mental illnesses this way. Our jails can't do this. And our hospitals sure as hell can't hold you down and inject you like this and expect mm -hmm. 
expect me to get better because that's that how does that help any human being that experience and i can go into more detail if you want but uh it's not a fun fun thing and you have no recourse afterward it just happened and there's nothing you can do about it kind of, kind of you do it's called a 1983 claim is when your civil okay. rights civil rights are violated and i've gone to a couple of different attorneys and they all say yes this is horrible this happened to you your rights were violated there's even Supreme Court cases that say when you're on an involuntary hold, you get all the same constitutional rights plus some. The Fourth District Court, I believe, ruled on this. Um, there was a ruling that came out of Alabama also, but none of the lawyers really want to take it on. They say it's too high of a bar to meet. Even though they say my rights are violated, nobody wants to go and actually hold anybody accountable. But would it be? Yeah. It'd be a 1983 claim is what you actually would be um, filing. And it's it's uh, basically just that your rights were violated by these agencies. And for the civil side, the hospitals, it's something different. And it's, it's really is no recourse. So you're right, because nobody really wants to get their hands into this. And I don't yeah. know if it's a little cool or too hard or what. The standard must be so high. Yeah. But if it's if it happened and it's wrong, shouldn't that just be enough to say, hey, this is wrong? Fix it. Yeah, that's a good question. Because I don't want taxpayer money. I don't want to sue to get taxpayer money. I just don't want this to happen to the next guy and the next lady who have a mental health crisis. Like, right? Help them. Help those people, not torture them. And I'm really confused how I go from an involuntary hold for a suicide attempt. So they take custody of me, but the jail is told I'm drunk. How does that happen? Yeah. That happened to me at the hospital last I fell and hit my head. And when I went to the emergency room, they said that I was drinking and I wasn't drinking. So, so in my health record, there it is. <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't. Me, me too. In my medical record, there's, they even did a, a talk screen on me when I, the first hospital, I, I was taking a St. Al's first. They did a talk screen on me. It doesn't show a drop of alcohol on me. Yeah. But the, the mental health facility I went to when they were on the phone with my wife, they made it clear they thought I was drunk, and then Meridian PD thought I was drunk, and Ada County Jail thought I was drunk. And like, there's no alcohol in me. There's there's nothing. I'm just been injected with medicine that causes side effects. I'm trying yeah. to hurt myself still. Like, I can go on for a while. It gets me kind of fired up, Shannon. I'm sorry. No, you don't need to apologize. It, um, it gets me. Because like, you put someone on a hold, like, and you asked for an attorney, it would have been wonderful to have an mm -hmm. just one person, because they wouldn't tell my family where I was at, wouldn't tell my wife. Just one person, though, to say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what you need to do to make this go away. Why not have an attorney? And I asked for one, and it's documented in the medical records alone nine times. Mm. And that's not enough for an attorney to be able to sue them and say, this is wrong. Yeah, that's not cool. Not cool at all. I agree. And it happens to a lot of people in Idaho. And it, it, that's the sad thing is this is like the standard of treatment Idaho gives to the mentally ill. And we wonder why we're one of the last states in the nation yeah. to, to, to have the, the results that we do. Second to the last in the country yeah. for mental health care. And it's cool. I guess Boise PD is supposed to be going through 40 hours of mental health crisis. And I think that's a great start, but it needs to be more like a incentivize them to get degrees in social work, pay them extra money. Mm -hmm. So when they, when they respond, because my situation, what helped aggravate me is I, I took 20 to 30 Xanax. I took a handful of Xanax to kill myself. The police show up. I have three different officers all barking orders at me. 
all different orders too. Yeah. Eventually one says I'm resisting, but I'm, I'm uh, complying with two of them. Why not just be one person talking to that? You know, it's a suicide. Yeah. You know what the result was. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't violence. I told them at the door. Yeah. I swallowed some pills and they still, there needs to be some reform, not defunding the police, but I think incentivizing them to understand more about the mentally ill. Maybe reallocating some resources so that there are more, more training and more resources available to the police. Well, I see, like, is. The governor said we have a $530 million surplus. Yeah. Why not put, like, for, for paramedics and law enforcement, give them $100 million to go get social work degrees so when they interact, how many people are mentally ill when they are diagnosed with our, our inmate population? I guess what I'm trying to mm-hmm. get, our inmate population, how many are mentally ill? And there could be better results if at the very beginning, our police officers, our paramedics could interact with them in a sense of, okay, we really know what's going on. Let's get this treated versus showing up with force or canines, guns, whatever it is. You can actually use some compassion, incentivize police to do something. And then a program like the one I found, um, Intensive Healing Therapy, that should be here in Idaho for everybody. Like that is such everybody. a wonderful, yeah. wonderful thing. And Instead, the follow-up is nothing from the government. They're just, okay, you've been charged, get out. And, and here's the really kicker. I, you put on a, uh, an involuntary hold, right? It says you're supposed to go before a judge to see if the hold continues. I've yet to go in front of a judge. Really? I've yet to have that hearing. Yeah, it's been almost a year, and I've yet to have that hearing. And it's kind of like, what was the purpose of putting me on a hold in the first place? Because you let me continue to hurt myself. You let me con- to continue the symptoms. You did nothing to help me. Um, I uh, I can go off about that. Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, that's I, okay. I want to stay focused for you. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Okay, okay. So, so what kind of tools have you used to maintain your mental health? So now um, I meditate daily. I don't just do the Wim Hof breathing. Um, Wim Hof, I'll type it into our chat for you, but WimHofMethod.com. It uh, teaches you a scientifically proven way to release dopamine to the brain. I do a lot of exercising, eating healthy. Um, The equine therapy is part of it, but there's other breathing techniques I do. Um, I find outlets, whether it's art, uh, my dogs, you have to find something that is, gets you moving, I think, and gets you interacting mm-hmm. with something besides your own thoughts. So I take my dogs out a lot. Um, and it helps me a lot to talk about it. doing things like this, sharing my story with you, other groups, like sharing it is a lot, helps me a lot to kind of process, um, remind myself to the, that if you want to have a functioning life, you have to be able to talk about these things and not hide it. Cause I think when you hide it, it uh, just blows up in your head even more. Yeah. I do a lot of things to take care of my body. Part of my suicide attempt was uh, the amount of pain I was in. So I do a mm. lot of, um, I'll, I can't afford cryotherapy anymore where you sit in minus 240 degrees for a couple minutes. So instead I go to the Boise river and I lay in the cold Boise river for a while, let it do what it does to my body. Um, oh, cool. A lot of breathing, exercise. I can't stress exercising. That is a huge, huge thing for me. Um, and it's a fine line to walk with the RA and exercising. It's kind of have to listen to my body and stop when it says this is too much. But staying active, I think, has been a, a big thing for me and finding outlets. Um, I do a lot of photography and videography and fly my drone and 
that stuff is having outlets. I think when it builds and builds and builds and it just gets in your head and you keep thinking about it. Um, yeah. I think that's toxic. Yeah. I find that painting helps me a lot. I do a lot of painting, a lot of crafts and jewelry thing, anything to get me out of your head and focused on something or out of my head and focused on something else like meticulous details. Exactly. Yeah. Help. I'll wake up in the morning and do some, do one of my breathing techniques. Um, I take my pain meds, go get the dogs out, take care of the house to what I can. Um, one of my other therapy, like, like the cryotherapy or take or exercising, do something like that for my body because it releases those endorphins. Mm-hmm. I, I'll meditate a couple of times throughout the day too. It, it's not just sitting there and thinking of nothing, but the act of focusing on your breathing and releasing the dopamine. And um, there's one called power breathing. There's one called soma breathing you can do. And they release so many good chemicals to your brain that when you take time to focus on yourself, like the rest of the world will cease to exist. And you're in that moment where it's just clarity. Yeah. I'm loving all the deep breathing techniques that you're sharing here. Check out the Wim Hof method. That's the easiest one to learn. And from there, there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down into. Um, And just wonderful, just wonderful, wonderful little things like that. I mean, you do 10 little things a day to help yourself. It's better than me sitting on a couch and talking to a person that's going to kick me out after an hour, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I talk more about it too. I mean, like not just to you, but like I share my mindset, I guess, a lot more with my wife and my friends. I'll let them know a lot more versus just saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, that's I, good. Not, that's healthy. Yeah. I used to just kind of hide that because I was afraid of being a burden to people. Mm hmm. And now I'm a bit more, well, if I'm a burden and I'm not here, then they weren't really a friend. And if they are here, then they're a good friend. Or maybe they're just not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what advice has someone given you um, that has helped you along the way? Oh, I think the best piece of advice has come from a, I don't, that's a hard, that's a hard question. Cause I hear a lot of different things and pinpointing mm-hmm. who and what it is, but um, taking care of yourself, I think, has been the biggest thing I, I have gotten from this experience, and not just like my own coming to that conclusion, but my wife um, continues to remind me that to, you know you need to take care of like your own mental set, your own mental health. Like you own it, you control it. It's it's you can be have a bad day, you can have a good day. Um, Johnny, the director of that program, again, you got you got to put the work in to make the change. I say, I guess that's the big thing. You have to put the work in to make the change mm-hmm. the person you want to be. And we can sit back and do nothing all day and do the same thing and get the same results. But if you put work in to change yourself, it's going to happen. And that goes through exercise, communication, and like self-help, basically. If you do those things, I think you will, uh, those have been the three biggest things that have come to me from different people. I think that, that will, uh, Get it out there for me. I don't awesome. know how to answer that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Really good advice. And like where I exercise at too, the uh, owner has um, a, a tons of, of uh, autoimmune diseases too. So he's he's been like one of the real one of the ones pushing exercise on me a lot is to keep on staying active because it helps your body and your mind and body are connected. And if your body's feeling good, you're one, you're going to be tired. There's going to be endorphins coming out and there's going to be less 
dwelling on the negative stuff in your head. Mm-hmm. And if you go put the work in and it's not just like exercising, but making the lifestyle changes, who you associate with, I already don't drink alcohol. Um, get rid of the things that hurt you. And it's nice to have a glass of wine, I guess, now and then, or whoever you are, whatever your your escape is, but give up the things that are toxins to your body and your mind and, and mm-hmm. stop self-medicating and start doing positive things for your body instead of masking the, the symptoms. Perfect. Well, do you have any final parting thoughts? Um, I don't know. Check out usareboot.resort.org. They're a nonprofit that helps veterans and law enforcement. And then here in Idaho, it's the same program, but it is called intensivehealingtherapy.com. It has proven results. And if you're out there looking for uh, something new to try, get a hold of Johnny. He will help you through and through. It is amazing what that program does for you, the amount of hope it provides. um, Even if I have a bad day, I have hope tomorrow will be a better day. And I think that is a huge, powerful word because you have bad day after bad day and there's no hope. Why continue? But Mm. No, a day can be good and you put it in the work and it will be good. Um, Yeah, put the work in. And I guess always don't be afraid to reach out for help too. That's been a big thing for me as I'm afraid to be a burden to people. I don't want, I mean, I'm 6'2", a Marine, college educated, and I don't want to be a burden to people. But ultimately, we are all in living this life together and you have relationships with people for a reason. So use them. Go, Go say, hey, I'm not doing well. Can I talk? Or even a stranger. A stranger might be able to just sit there and listen to you. So if you're listening to this and you're having a bad day, just go talk to somebody. Go find someone that will listen to you and you're not alone. There's always somebody who's there to help you. And if you ever need help and you can find me, I'll happily help people. That's awesome. Well, Mike, thank you for taking time to come on my podcast. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Sharon. You have yourself a good day. You too. I'll talk to you later, I suppose. Yes, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye.